You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So first up for a Q&A, do you have any church recommendations in Tucson? Well, that's a good question. Uh, we have people who drive to our church from Tucson, so that's a, but I don't recommend driving an hour and a half every week one way. Uh, I don't yet. I should, but I haven't found, and this doesn't mean there isn't a good one there, but I have not found a, a church that would be similar to this or ours mm-hmm. in Tucson yet. But um, I talked to her earlier, and I'll I'll look a few up and send send them your way. Yeah. The uh, how many here have heard of Mark Driscoll? There we go. How far away is Mark Driscoll from you? Uh, Twenty minutes. Does he? How much influence does he have in your area? Lots. Mainly over uh, pastors. He does coaching. Yeah. So he coaches them on how to how to do multi-site and how to grow and and all this stuff we have some people that are does he coach you no no maybe i should sign up for one session so that i could no he i'm blocked on all his social media outlets i've said my piece could you explain explain briefly what the apostolic word is yeah as far as i i know or am familiar with that phrase or that term the apostolic word would be the apostle in the in the church now claiming to be an apostle who's getting direct revelation from God and then delivering that to the people. So there's some weird phrases that you'll hear. Uh, one of them is breakthrough, right? If you listen to enough of that stuff with Bethel and all that, you'll hear, you know, we're really pressing in for breakthrough. You're like, what does that mean? It's one of their phrases. The apostolic word is the the man who claims to be an apostle. And they have women apostles now. And there's actually a website I found. We don't have probably time to go through all this research. But uh, there is a website that does, they'll sell you apostleship. And you can get a couple's discount if you're both uh, signing up to be part of the apostolic network they have. It's kind of cool. If you couples, yeah. a couple's cool in a heretical way, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So the apostolic word is you're getting direct re- revelation from God for those that are under you, and it's completely false. It's false authority. We have apostles; they're all dead, and they were the foundation. They were foundational in the church, and now we have their writings and. We're thankful for them and their role. And now the church is being built up. Good. Do you see any decline in the strength of the prosperity gospel's influence? Are people starting to have their eyes open? Mm, no. Here's why. The players are changing. So my uncle, his ministry, in steep decline beyond. Uh, Kenneth when, you, Cope, when you talk about steep decline, talking about financial giving to that ministry? Totally. Dive bombing. Like, not at all. Can't fill a stadium. Kenneth Copeland, we laugh at him. He's on the uh, not ESPN Inside Edition, and Lisa Guerrero you know, catches him at his airstrip and all that. These guys are laughable in that sense. But like another one, you know, Bill Johnson, you know, Benny, and I don't relish in this. His wife Benny dies of cancer, and that just kind of like slides under the radar. No one fixes COVID. Chris Valaton falsely prophesies however many he's he's said are going to happen or do from presidential stuff with Trump and or his his prophets have prophesied very falsely he'll say that was his main first one and he repented of it like all right um yeah there's a cast of characters that are in decline but the prosperity gospel is very much alive because for every Benny Hinn that's in decline Kenneth Copeland, that's some old weirdo that's laughable now. A Bill Johnson who's kind of like, well, your wife died. This stuff doesn't work, man. Um, And Todd Bentley, who's pretty much not even taken seriously at all. You have Michael Todd, who is bigger than ever. And Furtick. And you have uh, Tim Ross, 
who's the if you haven't heard of him, look him up. He's these guys are are way more famous than people realize. Uh, you have Judah Smith, you have Chad Veach, you had Carl Lentz, but he's back. He's on staff at Michael Todd's church, and so you have this new wave of guys, and they don't wave white jackets, they don't have pink hair, and they don't have TBN, but they are massively influential. They preach the prosperity gospel. They are reaching our young people in massive ways. We did a video at, for the gospel. We did we did a series that we release a video every once in a while. It's called False Teachers. And Michael Todd was the first one I picked. And we got hammered by a lot of people for that video. And that lot of people were mostly young youth pastors and young adults pastors. And one of them was actually on the, the comments was Mark Driscoll's son, Calvin. And I didn't know that. Somebody had told me that you know, Calvin Drizzy, I'm like, yeah, they're like, that's Driscoll's son. Like, oh, wow. And they were very angry with us. A lot of those young guys saying, how dare you throw stones at At the young brother. false teachers? Yeah. How dare you throw stones at a brother? Just because he's influential, you're just jealous. He's been such an inspiration. We should be praying for him to keep being used by the Lord. You're like, what delusional spirit has come over them all? And then you look at Second Thessalonians 2 and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty much a delusional influence a deluding influence will take over. Mm -hmm. And I think that in many ways, this is, and again, I know that not everyone shares my eschatology, but um, I'll share it. And then, you know, I'm gone, so it's fine. But that I... It's not unwelcome here. It's the same. Yeah, I believe that you can't have widespread delusion and you can't have an antichrist and you can't have these things happen without delusion. And we're seeing it when you go, how in the, are you people serious? How, how do you like the RC Sproul, like short video, everyone's like, what's wrong with you people? You know, Sproul doing that. (laughs) Like you have to have that to set the stage for the kind of chaos that will ensue. And so that's what we're watching. But the church is being strengthened. I don't like when people say that, you know, the, the premillennial view or whatever is pessimistic. I'm, like, I'm not pessimistic. The church is being built, man. Yeah. Jesus is saving. There's the remnant. We're strong. The sheep are coming. But around us, yeah, the world is, is growing darker. The church's light is growing brighter. So yeah. in that, I don't see the decline. I see strong delusion, a next generation wave. I mean, T.D. Jakes' kids are in ministry. Um a whole wave of, of next generation guys are in. My brother-in-law's brother, Michael Culianos, and Jessica, Uncle Benny's daughter, lead Jesus Image Ministry. You go to their thing in Orlando, there's like 5,000 people at that church. Their conferences are massive. I was at a coffee shop the other day where I live in Phoenix. A woman was wearing a Jesus Image shirt. They're doing tours. I, you're, there's no decline. There's, there's, they're just grabbing a whole new generation. And Benny Hinn's the weirdo with the white coat on YouTube. So that... Um, is your uncle's ministry declined due to the fact that he's getting older or due to the fact that the hunger for the show is changing? That somebody else has to push the envelope, become more sensational, more edgy, more sort of yeah. grandiose. And, and so you have the new generations doing that. Or is it just that... I think both. The, the, old, the old people who used to watch TBN and see Benny and Kenneth Copeland, they're dying off. They've given their seed faith, and now these people are being buried, and so that whole generation is dying out, and the people yeah. given to them is dying out. I think both. He's yeah. getting old, and you look at that whole support system, it's older. And then also, Bethel sort of branded in a way, and so did like Judah Smith and some of these guys, a new brand of... This whole, and Satan's really smart. You've got kind of cool music, skinny jeans, vibes, young people, the arts. You look at Bethel Supernatural mm-hmm. School of Ministry and their school for the arts. They've got like ballet and all this. They're targeting young people and skills and the arts and all that. And it looks really cool. My uncle, his if someone came again and was like him, it would not sell the same. Why? Because we're over the massive stadium, the detached faith healer, his white. We're entertained by it. It's laughable, but it doesn't work. What works now is Bill Johnson, super authentic, real calm, almost uh, like, yeah, they're just signs that make you wonder. You know, <laughs> he said he would cover you with his feathers. You know, I don't know what's <laughs> going on here. Just miracles everywhere. And 
and letting his, letting like that vibe works. And then letting his kids, Jen Johnson, Brian Johnson, like letting the next generation thrive where my uncle was like the single showman and it was the traveling show and circus. Some of these guys now it's about empowerment because Gen Z wants to be involved. Millennials like to be in and authentic. So it is, he's aged, but it also, the game has changed. It's gone from a spectator sport to a participation sport. Totally. Yep. Uh, what kind of money comes in at Crusade? You mentioned the lady, the first one to give a million dollars to your ministry mm-hmm. in one of your sessions. What kind of money comes in at a Crusade? Were you ever backstage when you counted the money that came in in the offering buckets? What was yeah, that like? Yeah, half a million dollar offerings like that. Just easy, easy money. In one night? Yeah, yep. easily. And that's, that's, a, that's a marginal number. In terms yeah. of the money that came in, comes into those ministries, is most of it large gifts from the celebrities, the athletes, mm. the influencers, or is it, you know, little grandma who's hoping for a miracle for her cancer cure, giving 25 bucks a week to Benny Hinn. What does the majority of that income look like? Yeah. By way of numbers, certainly the, the smaller gifts are massive. It's a lot of people giving smaller amounts, but you have your ways of getting the larger gifts. Like God's telling me right now, there are 70 people that can give $7,000. And right now he is going to give you a breakthrough. And some of you, you can only give $7 and some of you, you can, but some of you, you can give an uncommon gift of faith, $17,000 and $70,000. Like they do all the tiers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what you end up with is this conglomerate of, of numbers that are large and small, but you get your big, your big heavy hitters. And there are a lot of them. And it, it drives me nuts. I think, <laughs> oh, if these people would get saved and just give to real ministries, then we, but I, I know it's a narrow way. I yeah. get it. But sometimes I'm like, Lord, just steer a few of them over and, and like finish Jim's building. Like, it's just, like, like that. You just, it's easy. They don't even, they don't need a tax write off for it. They're like, nah, we already hit our max. We can just give you more. Like, dude, all right. But, you know, the hype and the show of all that stuff. Yeah. As a cessationist, how do you support a phrase like, Clear thinking, charismatic. Does one not negate the other? Good question. That's a good question. Uh, First, I would say, I'm going to say clear thinking continuationist is a phrase we can use. Mm -hmm. If we didn't, then you're calling a lot of people crazy um, and not clear thinking. I think clear thinking, charismatic, hmm. I think I'd hold to, even if it were a small number, Clear thinking Pentecostal or clear thinking um, charismatic. There, I have a I have a buddy of mine, local, another pastor. We have different kinds of churches. Um, he listens to for the gospel stuff. We dialogue and interact. We started out uh, not getting along. It was he didn't like me, and I didn't know who he was, and was like, "Why are you angry at me?" <laughs> We had good interactions, and he says amen to stuff we post and is is pretty much on board. He methodologically is different. They're more multi-site type. Uh, and then he would be, he considers himself, uh, you know, charismatic with a seatbelt or whatever. You know, he got one of those phrases from Matt Chandler or whoever. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree. I, I th- you know, he's trying to reach people. And we've talked about things. He goes, I know, but you know, these people, they're not well taught. And I think, you know, you got to leave some things open because the Bible doesn't say this, this, and that. And I said, well, that's, that's a continuationist position. You use the word charismatic. He goes, ah, it's all the same, whatever. And I go, well, kind of, but not really. And we have these dialogues and I would consider him a clear thinking man. He is logical. He is theological. He, he doesn't buy into the word faith. Doesn't buy into the word of faith. No way. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be so chummy with him mm-hmm. behind the scenes if it was true. Um, we don't agree on a few things, and you know we're clear on those. But he's clear thinking, and that's and and he's you know a few people have come over to our church from his church, and he's like it's good for them. They they love your ministry. They they'll do better and cause less trouble here if they're with you (laughs) because these people have strong convictions. And so is, 
is you know Justin or other buddies of ours right to say like yeah that phrase I don't know if I'll use it that much anymore because it's it's there's there's not a lot of them like totally yeah but I would still say clear thinking continuationist um, and I guess I wonder aren't continuationists charismatics with seatbelts on sort of technically so but there's such a spectrum like John right. Piper eh, is like I said before, and I think I've joked about where him with all his stack of books and his continuationism, the church at the time when he was there, if you went and attended a service there and then went to Grace Community Church the next week, the services look similar. And for all the, yeah, I don't know. I just can't say if this is not ceased or not. I, the practical outworking is pretty similar looking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think some of them, of course, some of them are clear-headed, but some of them are very confusing to me. I'm I'm wondering about their hermeneutics. But again, I'm still 38 and I'm young, so I got to be careful. I can't say stuff about older men and be cheeky because that's arrogant. Yeah. And so I, you can. No, you're older. Not much. You. Not much. You have dialogue with. You Not can much. say things. I. I still have to behave and ride I, your coattails. I just say things and then I say I got that from Costi. Oh yeah. <laughs> Is there any correlation between the prosperity gospel and the sacrifices required of the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, in particular in supporting the priesthood and temple? I think maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, whoever submitted this question, but it was required that people gave in order to support the priesthood. Totally. So it was mandatory yep. sacrifices, and giving in the nation was a prerequisite for blessing. So you get the Malachi references yes. often where you're robbing God if you're not giving to the ministry. Yeah. I would say that all of that is classified under lazy hermeneutics, which is I just approach the Bible and I look at it and go, yeah, I'm going to preach that for me today. And doing no work, it's really easy. And there's similarity there between that structure and the way that the prosperity gospel leverages that for their their purposes. And people will go, come on, preach. Amen. You go, "You you need to take care of the man of God. The priesthood in the Old Testament. The people brought the tithe into the storehouse and all this <laughs> stuff. And some of you get PTSD when I preach that way. I get it. But, you you know, and, and these people today try to keep the man of God down. They don't honor the man. You realize the reason why the church is in the state that it's in is because people don't honor the man of God. You honor the man of God, God will honor the church. People are like, come on, preach. And the preachers are like, preach. And <laughs> love it. All that stuff, that's lazy hermeneutics. You've not rightly divided the word. You've taken Old Testament, Levitical laws. You've taken things and just superimposed them on New Testament churches. But man, it preaches and it sells. So yeah, it's very... And then God will bless you. So now, And if you, honestly, if you tie a little bit of America in there too, Mm -hmm. which the right patriotic attitude is, we love our country, want to vote. But you wrap that up into an American thing of like, you want God to heal this nation? You want Him to turn it around? The reason He's not blessed, you want Him to bless America? I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And no one even knows what He's saying. They're like, Amen! <laughs> like, what? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. America started as a Christian nation and God wants to bless this nation. And we've been killing babies. You're like, I know, but what? Hold on. Some of this is true and some of it's not. What is happening? That is what we're seeing right now with uh, Turning Point USA Faith. You seen? Have you seen some of that? Mm. Oh, we're doing a video about it for the gospel. This will get us in some trouble, but it's good. <laughs> so, Charlie Kirk and the boys, yeah. I know them, super helpful on some things, gone down the wrong path. When Asbury started their thing, some of you have been seeing this, it, you've got their revival now. They're going around America. And I told, I told, okay, I'm getting fired up. I told some guys about this. I told guys about this. I'm like, I've seen this stuff before. They're like, ah, be quiet, Costi. You're just jaded. I'm like, no, I'm telling you. They're doing the thing they always do. And the political and the, the stuff gets squirrely. And it's, when it's not led by pastors it, who are sound doctrine driven, it won't be pure. You'll get everyone else with their weird little agenda. And so now you have Sean Foyt, you know, long curly hair, mm-hmm. Bethel guy. He's the leader of it. TPUSA has contracted him. TPUSA Faith has contracted him. And they're doing revivals everywhere. So we have uh, one of my good buddies. He just posted. He got fired yesterday because he's speaking up. He posted this publicly. It's all. It's there. Johnny Root. And he loves Verge. The guys from G3, they're all in tight. Good dude. Lives locally. And they are wrapping up 
all this revival stuff and the seven mountain mandate into a, a political American vibe. So people are like, yeah, I love my country. I'm sick of Biden and this whole political chaotic thing they're doing. And I'm, I'm, I don't like this at all. And then TPUSA is like, well, yeah, let's take over America again. And it's this woman the other day at the revival was shouting, we declare, I decree, the seven mountain mandate is ours. And the seven mountain mandate is the yeah. NAR. That is all merging in. And so what you have is bad hermeneutics. And you have a lot of things read into this. And then they're... They're cheap shot artists. They're grabbing American vernacular, which grabs onto all of our heartstrings because I don't want Titus growing up in an America like it has been. Of course not. I love my country. And we should be involved. But when you grab that and you have people that are untaught and you stamp it with false teachers and then TPUSA with their platform says, we're going to do it. We're going to save America. You have all these people caught up in it. And they're giving money to it and their time and their energy. And the local church is nowhere to be found. And this is the issue with the Asbury Revival. Again, anything happening detached from the local church, that's not what Jesus does. It's manufactured. So a lot of that is you could go down a lot of different illustrative roads and say, that's a weird hermeneutical issue. That's, that, that doesn't even make sense. That's just taking some Old Testament thing and slapping it on and then and so people, it's lazy. And some of it, I think just Satan is so, he's so smart. And it's, it's so crafty and scheming and deceitful. I'm reading through the Bible in one year using Version Bible app. Is Version bad? I, I don't know. I don't use Version. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. I probably should. Version seems old to me now. It's like Version, great Bible app. I, well, I seem old. That doesn't mean it's no. I, yeah, I'm just like people. You still, thought I was old, so no. your ability to older, discern age is older, wiser. Um, there's a U version in. Isn't it just? It's a Bible app, and then aren't there some devotionals I, and weird reading plans though? It, too. If memory serves, it has multiple translations in U version, correct? Yeah. So NASB, ESV, LSB. Yeah, use your NASB or your LSB yeah. Bible yeah, on there. That's young guys know how to use that. Yeah. All right. Do that, but don't click on like the Priscilla Shire women's devotional, or yeah. if they have those, I don't. Or Beth Moore, or Andy Stanley, or anyone else that you've mentioned. Uh, Luke 18.42, your faith has healed you. Why are there Bible Scriptures crediting faith for healing? Does faith heal? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. I didn't do a great job of this when I preached that yesterday in my testimony. I talked about John 5. And I said, you know, it's not, it wasn't faith that saved the man in, or sorry, that healed the man in John 5. What I've often said or what I would say is you can't turn faith into a formula where if I have enough faith, God will heal me. You have the woman with the issue of blood, and I think you've got some interesting both ends there where mm -hmm. Jesus says, so power left me. Who touched me? And the disciples or he says, who touched me? The disciples are like, everyone touched you. Look where we are. There's no power left me. It's different. And then he ends up healing her, and he goes, daughter, your faith has saved you. And I always think it's very interesting that he uses a familial term, and it's translated that way. And I think, did he kind of saved her and healed her. I, that's interesting. And then, just like other times, he heals someone and says, don't tell anyone. And then other times, apparently he doesn't care yeah. if they tell everyone. The whole point, when you look at the Gospels, is Jesus is a sovereign healer. And He does as He wills and as He pleases. And He has purposes in what He's doing and why He does it. You can't turn any of it into a formula. Then you can't say, well, yeah, just... You know, if you don't if you don't have faith, you know, God will heal you. So everyone who doesn't have faith come forward for healing today. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then you can't say if you have enough faith, God will heal you. Just believe and he'll heal you. You cannot turn his healing power into a formula. That's what I would say to that. Yeah. There's beautiful instances in which he's moved with compassion, the Bible says. And that word compassion is translated directly, if you were to just do a, a literal translation. I believe it's good bowels, and you know the word, and it's that it's that stirring 
up in the stomach. It's, it's your stomach is turning in knots. You feel compassion. That's the word that's used in the Gospels of Jesus feeling compassion. He feels compassion for people. Why? They're in need. Others, the, the, the buddies who lower their friend through the roof, Jesus is obviously impressed with that and heals the man. So there's a lot of instances in which what Christ is impressed with is their faith. It pleases Him that they know who He is. Like with the disciples, who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. You are Christ, Son of the living God. They say you're Elijah. They say you're this. They say you're that. So faith does please the Lord, but you cannot turn His healing ministry into a formula. And John 5 is a really humbling and helpful example of that. Yeah, the seven in the Gospel of John, I'll just add to this real quick. Please. In the Gospel of John, there are seven signs, and only in one of those miracles could it be argued that faith was involved in that. So you have the turning of water into wine. Was there faith involved with that? Well, Mary just said, look, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Yeah. So was that faith? That's a little ambiguous whether she was just saying, she, she, this was the first of Jesus' signs. So it's not like she had seen him do miracles and thought to herself, oh, water, wine, just do whatever he tells you to do, he'll take care of it. It doesn't even sound like that is really an expression of faith on, on Mary's part. The second miracle is the healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4. In that instance, there is faith because uh, the nobleman's son said, if you just say the word, my, my, you know, he'll come and heal Jesus my son. And Jesus says faith, the word. Faith. And it says the man believed yeah. the word that Jesus said and he went his way and found out the way that his son mm-hmm. was healed. Then there is in chapter 5, the healing of the man at the pool. That man's faith was not involved with that. So the healing of the nobleman's son so far is the only sign where you could say that faith is present. Yeah. The third sign or the fourth sign is the feeding of the 5,000. And it's not like the disciples say, hey, why don't you just multiply some bread and fish? Yeah. Jesus said, I'll have them sit down in groups and we'll feed them. And the disciples say, where well, are we going to get food for these people? Yeah. They had no idea what was coming. The next miracle is Jesus walking on water. There's no faith. That's in John chapter 6. There's no faith involved in that. Then you got John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind. That man didn't even know who it was. Yeah or who Jesus was, Jesus encountered him and healed him, and the man didn't even know who it was who had, said, who had done yeah. that. And it was not until later when he confronts Jesus, or Jesus yeah. confronts him, that that man understands that Jesus is Messiah, makes that confession, and is born again, yeah. saved then. And then you have the raising of Lazarus from the dead. There's no faith involved in that, because um, when Jesus says to her, I'm the resurrection, says to Mary and Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life, they say, well, we know that we'll all rise on the last day. Yeah, they don't get it. Yeah, so they don't get it. They don't even, they're not understanding that right then he's saying, I have the ability to raise him from the dead. So in, out of the seven signs in John's gospel, there's only one of them where faith could be said to be instrumental in the miracle itself. And that's the healing of the nobleman. Yep. And the evidence there is that he is not even, that guy is not even a Jew. And really he had just heard what Jesus was able to do. Um, and so his faith, obviously, he's not somebody traveling around with Jesus who mm. sees this and has known this. He has heard the word and he believes that Jesus can do this. And, well he, and he takes pitch at it. So um, no faith, obviously, is not. I made this point to Michael Brown, Sam Storms, when we were having our roundtable discussion because mm. they brought up faith is necessary. And if faith is there, then God can heal. And I, I made the same presentation to them, basically, in real short. What did they say? Uh, not much. <laughs> Can you talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why do Pentecostal churches emphasize this? Is this something that releases more power to the believer, as they they would think? Such a loaded... I should have done... Well, this is prosperity gospel, but I could have done a session on on some of that. Um, Can I change Sunday school tomorrow? From sanctification to baptism and filling? I just preached on sanctification, so you could do that. Oh, so good. Thank you. Why didn't you tell me that? Yeah. I thought, well, we'll see if he's, what he says is true. <laughs> I have my laptop with me on the trip. I'm changing. Can I, I'll teach on that tomorrow at Sunday school. Yeah. Are you guys going to that? All right. Is that okay? Yeah. And basically what we'll find quite quickly, maybe I'll stay up late tonight and do some PowerPoints for it too. It'll be fun. I have charts in the book, the spirit book coming out in September. I love charts. And yeah, like Venn diagrams? Totally. I like yeah. visually. I'm like, I need <laughs> You and the... <laughs> You know where I was going with that. The vice president loves Venn diagrams. Go ahead. If you could do a Venn diagram for us. This is great. Uh, you will find so quickly just cursory overview of the book of Acts in the instances where tongues are pouring out and there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a specific purpose in it. There's a sign that's happening. And in those, the Jews who thought they were it are like, oh, the Gentiles are getting it too. 
It's all purposeful. It's not an explosion of baptism of fire everywhere and all. It Pentecost had come. So there's instances, and God is using it as a clear sign. You've got unbelieving Jews. You have the word going out. You have the church being birthed. It's very unique in particular. What Pentecostals and Charismatics do is they latch onto that as the normative experience. And what they're often doing is taking the book of Acts, which is mostly descriptive, telling us the narrative of what was happening and how the church was birthed, and making it prescriptive. Like, you must now have Pentecost. All of you who want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled, speaking in tongues, and they're using terms like baptism, filling, tongue. They've conflate, conflated a, a number of different things that the Holy Spirit does. So tomorrow, I will uh, we'll have some fun in okay. Sunday school. That sounds good. Uh, Mark nine thirty eight through forty one. Whoever's not against us is for us. Is a common argument against calling out false teachers. What are your thoughts on this? Well, they are against us because they're false teachers. So they're not for us. They're against us. They're against God because they teach false things. So that is a Bad argument, and you should read a book on logical fallacies. <laughs> All right. Uh, from online, in your opinion, is it okay to stay in a church where a handful of the congregants display hyper-charismatic behaviors, but the rest don't? So the, imagine that scenario. We're in a church, you've got hyper-charismatics. Behavior. You'd behavior. have to define. Are we talking hand-raising, swaying, this stuff? Well, you know? I don't know. I sit up front, so I don't know if we have hand-raising here, but I would... <laughs> I wouldn't consider that hyper-charismatic. So. There could be six or seven hand-raisers in your church, yeah. and you don't know. I know. I should be guarding the flock. I should be up here looking out at everybody. It's later. true. It's true. Okay. We have a number in our church. Hand-raisers? Yeah. I give, I give the fist pump to... How do you sing some of these hymns and songs without like, in Christ to love? I'm like, sorry, everyone. I'm not going back. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm fired up about Jesus. Like, let's go. You know? Let's do it. I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. You, you come preach. Justin was there. He, you know? Yep. He'd get excited. I, sometimes I see him stand up when he's singing. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, we love you. You should be here. Oh, I so hyper charismatic behaviors. Let me. Cre- I don't know who asked the question or, or what the context, but let's do a small let's, spectrum. Okay. You have what we just described. Please stay in the church. I'm sure there's a hand raiser or two here, just excited about Jesus, or they haven't caught on yet. And they're not allowed to raise their hands in Jim Osmond's church, and so they're just singing to Jesus. Um, I joked with Scott Aniel, you know, from G3. Yeah. He had those articles about hand raising, and I joked with him at uh, we were at Shepherd's Conference, and I said something, and he we were laughing like in stitches about it, and I I just said to him like I look you I'll be willing to get like I can give up some hand raising, or if you want to compromise, you want to do a little hand raising. I think we could work that we were joking about something, and we were laughing, having a great time. I think you got a lot of. Um, Good, broad fences there, generally, with like how someone just gets excited in in worship. Uh, Austin Duncan sometimes raises his hand. You know, John MacArthur, Austin Duncan, they haven't run him out of town yet. And there's always like two or three guys out of the 6,000 at ShepCon that raise their hands, and we let them keep coming. So, uh, <laughs> But then hyper-charismatic behaviors. If you got someone over in the corner doing the like, you know, all this stuff, like, no. That's needs to be dealt with. Uh, you shouldn't stay there per se. And here's what we have to be asking. This would be prudence. Do I have children who are observing these behaviors? If they are, am I prepared to raise my children in the church where every single week while, I, while daddy has explained that that's actually not biblical, mm-hmm. but they continue to do it, then it's like telling my kids it's not okay to speed, but then I just always speed. And they're like, okay, so we don't follow. Is this just this is a general rule of thumb, or this is something you're serious about? Does God say it, or does He not? Is that true, tongues or not? And so I think you have to gauge that. Also, with teaching, like, are we talking second blessing stuff? Are we talking, you know, healing service stuff? People this falling, comes down to the leadership. The spirit? Is the is the behavior being is the behavior demonstrated on behalf of the leadership, the worship yeah. team, and people there? So you got people in the congregation maybe who are not on board with that, but then you have the tongues talking and 
praying in the spirit and apostolic words coming from yeah. the platform. That would be different than yeah. little old lady sitting in the back who, who who spins a ribbon every Sunday. Yeah, the flag. You know the flag wavers. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to a, a, a ribbon. It's a ribbon ministry. It we is. Call it. I yeah. yeah. I we remember. have two or three here. You do. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I, do you? No. Yeah. Oh, I was high. <laughs> I remember going to a church in Texas, went and visited, they preached the gospel. It was a sweet Sunday. And I looked in the bulletin and it said, please reserve all flag waving and dancing in the spirit for the northeast corner of the sanctuary. True story. <laughs> and I was just looking at the bullet and I looked over. Sure enough. There, there they all were. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, there's some different strokes for different folks there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you want to you wanna gauge the spectrum and I'd be careful, but no, we're not talking about someone singing loud, raising their hands, excited about the Lord, uh, people in the church that are new that are or that are that are older Christians and just they love Jesus and they're like, I ain't no charismatic, I'm just singing loud. Get over it. Mm-hmm. You're great. Um that be careful. But yeah, if there's a pocket of it, you may you may just want to worship somewhere else and say, Love you guys. I'm going to just kind of go over here without yep. the ribbons. and For us, the northeast section of the sanctuary would be right over here, so we couldn't do that. <laughs> All right, how might I approach communicating with friends who have left truth behind and gone to Bethel School of Ministry when arguing is pointless? Oh, case by case. Do they want to talk when they get into town and hang out? Great. Are they a Bethel apologist, like where they say, hey, I know we've talked before, but now that I'm back, I want to tell you, you're still completely wrong. They're amazing. You're like, we need to keep talking. Like you're, um, or versus someone else that has been flagrantly clear about where they stand and they don't really want to have a relationship or a friendship. I find it increasingly challenging. And I'm not trying to be narrow minded when I say this, but I'm finding it increasingly challenging to get past a simple, shallow, lunch talking about sports and that's kind of it or whatever the weather with someone who is an ardent defender of Bethel and their theology there's just nothing left to to talk about not that we can't enjoy common grace and just enjoy life Mm -hmm. and love like I have family members I love you and it's good to see you but if you're going to defend an active heretic, I just have less to say. Yeah, there's no active fellowship, grounds for fellowship. There. No, and that's what that's what um, levels up fellowship and levels down fellowship. So if we're, hey, cost, you know, Uncle Benny, he's so different. He's just, you really, we, I'm telling you, he's changed. And I'm going great. When are we? When are we going to talk about this publicly and make sure everybody knows in the body of Christ that he's different? Well, that's not how it works. All right, like you, <laughs> fellowship goes down. Go, I don't. How, what do you do with that? Yeah, you can't just look over. Go, oh well, you're maligning Christ, my Lord, my Savior. Uh, no big deal. So case by case basis, you've got to try and share truth with them as best as you can. Find out, engage them as far as what their commitment level is and what their receptiveness and openness is. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did the process of grief look like for you and your wife as you lost community? Because you certainly did. And what were some of the main comforts and counsels that you were given? Yes, I went through a stage where I was very angry internally. I had a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. And you know, sometimes she would just say, like, are you all right? I'm like, I'm fine. And she's like, no, you're not. Like, no, I am fine. You know, she's like, okay. I'm like, this is crazy. It's ridiculous. You're like what? I'm like, I have no money, just sitting here, broke, like no family. I mean, know what my life is. <laughs> and you're like, all right. I mean, you have me, like we have each other. I'm like, I know, but it's just, it's not the same. And I was going through. I went. <laughs> that's why I went and got biblical counseling. And I seriously, went and met with this older gentleman who was helping me, you know, quantify what it means to lose your whole identity. What I thought was my identity because it was. I'm a hen. My family, like we're top of the world, king of the hill. There's strength in that. Even you could understand, we all can. The strength of your own family, even now. Like if you have siblings or if you are one and you're like, we're the so and so brothers. Like 
my kids already have that. Like the Hin girls, there's three of them, and my boys, like my sons, like there. I have that now. There's, we have a family. When you lose all that, you lose a sense of security, stability, a sense of care. Like I don't know these people at the church at that time. Like who are they? They would. How do I trust them? They'll leave me in a heartbeat. I don't know what's what, and I'm newlywed. So I'm going, okay, I know, I love her, I know her, but like here we are in this apartment. Everything that I've known for 27 years is done. And all I have is, I met this gal in 2009, now I'm married to her. So my longest lasting relationship or friendship with the person closest to me is two years, my own, my own wife. And then the longest friend I had would have been about six or seven years, one of my baseball buddies. But that wasn't like deeply rooted in theology. Everything else gone, and then all these new people that that you know my family's heretics, and we're all crazy, and they're right, but there's no level of relationship, so I went through that, and it's hard the grieving process how long was it uh I would say I was in biblical counseling for a solid year straight, and I remember tony Pastor Tony said to me once uh a few months in he was like, "You meet with someone." I was like, yeah. He's like, keep it up. I was like, really? What's going on? He's like, I don't know. You just seem seem like clear-headed. Things are getting stable. You feel good? I said, yeah, I do. I kind of figure out who I am and who he is and like how this all works. He's like, yeah, you'll be all right. Keep going. And I would talk to him. We had a lot of talks. But at some point, he was like, man, I think you need to go like sit with a biblical counselor, like life, leadership, emotions, all of it. And sift through. You got to sift through the rubble. You got to kind of deconstruct and reconstruct all of it. And I'll be here. I'll disciple you, but you need to go see an older man. And at the time, I'll tell you who else was really helpful is I mentioned them in my testimony. But Travis Allen and Jay Flowers from Grace to mm-hmm. You, those guys were so helpful. And I would call them for wisdom. I was spinning. And it's just an example of how young converts need discipleship. They need to sit with their pastors. Maybe they came out of something crazy and you get some counsel and have some good older brothers in the faith that just you go to, you call once in a while. They tell you, nope, you're crazy. That's weird. Nope, you're wrong. Yep, that's true. Here's what to do about that. And remember what God says, boom, 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 boom. And then fourth, all right, back, go serve. Truth and time. All right. You hang up the phone. You're like, okay, I got to grow up and figure this out. And it's a, I would say in total, to be at a place where I felt spiritually healthy and in my right mind, so to speak, like renewed in the mind mm-hmm. and could quantify everything, about three to four years total from 2012, 2013 to where it was 2015 and I was in seminary and most everything made sense. It was just now the tension of figuring out how to coexist with family members. And we've talked a ton about that, where how do you deal with grace and truth. But yeah. And then after that, a year later, I started writing and that I'd never really written a lot. And it became a way to uh, sift through things. I'd think about a topic and go, well, let me write a paper. So I used to give Tony papers that he never asked me to do. And I wrote blog articles for no one that no one read except my wife. And it was because I was sitting in my office day after day, thinking about a topic, looking at the Bible, looking at commentaries, studying a ton and going, so that's what that means. Man, these guys are nuts. Okay. And then Tony would say, hey, why don't you teach that in a small group? Okay. So I would teach it. So it was really like that. I don't, does that make sense? Yeah. Or? Yeah. No. Yeah. How do you personally teach rightly about conviction and illumination while rejecting language like God told me? Uh, well, God did tell me through his word and the Holy Spirit illumined my mind to see what God had written and told me in his word. And now I can rightly see it and rightly understand it. And that's so obviously I'm, I'm using the same language, but I know what the person means. Illumination, the Holy Spirit's work, opening up our mind or our eyes, the light bulb moment, if you will. And then, well, God told me. Typically we would see illumination as God opening your eyes or your mind, let's just say it like that, to the reality of what has already been revealed. So you're looking at Scripture and it's the, has that always been there? Moment. 
There it is. God told me is special revelation, mm -hmm. that God is directly speaking to you. And I would create very clean categories between the two. So I can easily say that I'm letting the Word of Christ dwell within me richly, that I have the First Corinthians 2 mind of Christ, that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, that I am devoting myself to prayer, and I am illumined by the Spirit of God, studying the Scriptures, and I'm not receiving any type of special revelation. I'm going to be filled, though, with uh, conviction. Like some of you who's our, who's our um, ministry gamer evangelist yep. is getting super fired up the last session. So was I. Why? Gospel. Evan all the evangelists in the room are like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Shouting amen. So wh what is that? Man, the Lord was really stirred my heart with conviction. Yeah, it's His Word. So you're being filled. So we would use different language. I feel such a strong conviction. Pastor, just Jim. You said just call you Jim. Okay, Jim. I feel such a strong conviction to go share the gospel with my neighbor today. I had meant to the other day and I chickened out, but today I'm going to do it. Why? Well, I'm just stirred with conviction. I'm, I'm reminded again that that's my... Someone else would say, I just feel like God told me I need to share the gospel with my neighbor. Well, no, you don't feel like God told you. He did tell you through His Word. And now you're filled with conviction. Or we might say, I have such a strong desire to, to love my wife more sensitively and more thoughtfully after reading First Peter 3. And that was so clear to me when I read today. Just say that. Why? Well, because you read God's Word. You renewed your mind. You want to do it. And so you go do it. Our vernacular is often like, I feel like God spoke to my heart. When you feel with your feelings, your emotions, you, your heart beats, and, well, I feel like God told me. You, you do? Because if God told you, like He did tell people in the Bible, you wouldn't you'd feel fear. And <laughs> you would definitely not feel like He spoke to your heart or feel like He told you. You'd say, God told me to do this. So, or, or like, the, just, I'm, I'm just really listening in contemplative prayer right now, Jim, and I'm, I, I'm just listening for that still, small voice. Like, what? As Justin Peters loses his mind. A still small voice. Like, what? What is that? How do you know which voice, which small voice was mm -hmm. the Spirit of God? So, stick with God's Word. God did tell you. And when you sense a strong conviction or you're filled with zeal or impulse to do something in line with God's Word, just give the Holy Spirit credit. The Spirit of God is going to stir you with conviction unto obedience. He will. When you read God's Word. When Paul says, let the Word, in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. And then he goes on to say what's going to happen. You're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You've got all this fellowship and worship that explodes. You have this thankfulness in your heart and this obedience. You go over to Ephesians in the parallel passage. What in the world's going to happen? You've got the Holy Spirit in you. So, we need to change our language. God's Word's God's Word. We just need to be more clear. Would you, you obviously, you wrote the book, God Doesn't Whisper. So you've been so kind as, a, as an older brother. Yeah. Um, do you want to just school us for? I, I would just say use biblical language to communicate biblical concepts. Boom. And oh, so concise. See? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote the book on it, so. <laughs> Do you, do you think most of these prosperity preachers genuinely believe what they preach, that the Holy Spirit really heals and prospers us, or do they just play this story just for the money? Oh, that's such a good question. Second Timothy 3.13 says, uh, in the last days, evil men and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That, to me, is one of the more helpful explanations for a question like that. Deceiving and being deceived. Yes, there were times where we really thought and the stories that were told were as though we were Elijah 2.0. Like we really thought we were doing it. And the talk was that. There were other times where you knew that something was fake and everybody in the room knew it was fake and you kind of just, 
like, well, that was, <laughs> we needed to raise some money. So <laughs> that was a little far-fetched. And you just go on with your life and you shove it under the rug and suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So the Bible does describe what was happening. It's Romans one eighteen, but um, yeah. So would your would your uncle consider himself to be a deceiver? Would he look at his ministry and think mm-hmm. I'm tricking people? No, no. He would say we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes. We all. Nobody's perfect. But he, he's convinced that genuine miracles have taken place at his hands. Yeah, for sure. Does he? Has he, at any of his crusades, when you've got all the people lined up in the wheelchairs, off the edge of the stage, paraplegics and all of that, does he, are there plants in there, people that put on braces and come out of wheelchairs that they bring up out of them and they fabricate a healing to sort of prime the pump for the psychosomatic effect? It's a really good question. So I don't have factual knowledge, and if I did, I would tell it. Um, (laughs) There might be some edits on the, material from last night i tell told everything uh i gave you guys updates from like three days ago (laughs) um that i want to let cook a little bit but there so i would tell you i have no factual knowledge of planted people fake healed people i don't i definitely know that there were people who would want to get on stage or they would come up and they they just wanted to get on stage at a benny hint or they wanted him to pray for them and so they would fake a healing to get up there and the doctors after would check them and none of that would check out. I also have factual knowledge of actual people saying they were healed and they weren't. And, but the ministry said they were. And that, and those people in a psychosomatic way got all the feels and all the adrenaline. And they were like, yeah, I talked to a gentleman, a young man, actually at Shepherd's Conference after talking to him at my church, uh, in the food truck line at ShepCon, he came up and we had a really good moment because he was mad at me at, when I talked to him at my church. He had come to visit and he had said that he got healed at Bethel, but the pain came back and he thinks it's because it was his lack of faith. And I said, no, it wasn't. You got healed on that foot. He, he had cerebral palsy. And he said, I said, you got healed. And he had an injured foot at the same time. So like double whammy. And I said, no, you got healed on that foot because you were all fired up. You were walking around, limping around because you got the adrenaline rush of a couple thousand people shouting your name and being excited for you. And there's a human element there that was tapped into. And it's that rush. It's the same reason why people lose their minds at a sporting event. They forget that they have to go to work the next day and their faces painted, they're shirtless on ESPN, waving their thing around. Their wife's like, are you nuts? And it's like, you, you, you lost yourself because the adrenaline. Same reason why athletes don't feel certain levels of pain when they get hit. Why? They're just a, adrenaline. So... But now you got injured and your doctor said it's worse and it's not because lack of faith, it's because it was fake and he was super upset with me. And I said, I mean that in love, brother. I want to pray for him, be his friend. He was upset. Comes to me at a shepherd's conference a couple years later and in the food truck line and says, hey, I said, hey, you're, what are you doing? you're here. Yes, you're here. That's awesome. And he said, yeah, I got to say, man, I'm sorry. I, I didn't, it was just hard what you had said and I kind of knew it was true, but I didn't want it to be true. So I started watching Justin Peters. I started watching YouTube and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the typical story. And he said, and I realized that it was very adrenaline-based, psychosomatic. I, and so stuff like that all the time. I will also say that all the, you know, you can't have that many rented or that many stadium wheelchairs, that many rented wheelchairs, not many wheelchairs that look identical people who come to crusades have their own wheelchairs and Hmm. when you line them all up on the platform and most of them look like airport wheelchairs maybe that's a red flag because that many people don't use (laughs) airport wheelchairs (laughs) in Um, all your time in that movement did you ever see any legitimate healings or miracles no. That you can say, I saw this, I was there, and no. everything, everything else was fake. This one time. No. Not once. No. I saw the opposite. I saw moments that shook me to my core, made me cry, made me wonder why God wouldn't heal them. Um, yeah, no no genuine healings. You want to know an interesting story? Really interesting. And I say this with respect to God's will and, and what could happen. 
But when Timothy got diagnosed with cancer, uh, we went through a few months, and the the elders, really kind, the elders at Grace Community Church, I was there for a meeting, and Pastor John was really kind. He said, hey, uh, come to come to the elder meeting, and we'll pray we'll, we'll pray for Timothy tonight. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, the elder, we, you know, we'll, we'll pray for him, and you be encouraged. I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there, and the elders, you know, had their whole meeting, and you can go to the first half, and I was able to say, and they prayed for they prayed for Timothy, and and I remember Pastor John saying, Lord, if it be your will, sustain him, heal him, uh, sustain his days, extend his days, uh, if it be your will. He prayed, you know, both sides, and so and since then, like if I have one one instance where a situation has either turned around or just completely gone a different direction. So since then, Christine and I both, we have it written down, the date, in like a little journal she had. There was never a single incident more with Timothy after the elders of Grace Community Church and John MacArthur prayed for his cancer. So the irony Timothy, is thick. It is. I, it guys, is so thick. So here's what we have to do. Here's what we have to do. You have to look at the course of Timothy's life. And one day, we'll basically all be dead. And the proof would be if Timothy keeps living and he has a great life, then there's been one particular person that I know of who was quote-unquote healed or that didn't succumb to cancer who had it. And it's Timothy, and it's because John MacArthur prayed for his healing. <laughs> the cessationist who the cessationist. people say don't believe in spiritual gifts. So I say that. All true. That's all true. But I do, I do say that to say that so many people give a bad rap to you or Justin or Pastor John or other people, and you know cessationists don't believe in healing. They just oh, just so just suffer and die. You know, if you go to that church, you know, <laughs> there it is fascinating to me, and I'm thankful. And yet, other people, you know, he could his cancer could come back. I'm mm-hmm. aware. So it's the we are at the mercy of God and His sovereignty. And so even in that, like for all the hooting and hollering, cancer won't touch this house, and yelling in Jesus' name, and laying hands on people, and blowing on them, and throwing jackets at them, and putting olive oil on people, and all the stuff that we would do, not one actual healing. My own mother had a tumor on her pituitary gland. Um, I just, I had a, um, uh, my uncle has a heart condition. Like this is not unknown. Like people died in the ministry. Actual people on the team. Like there were drug overdoses. There were sickness. There was divorces. There was adultery. Like you, you think about that, and it should humble us to go, even in in circles of sound doctrine, just to go, Lord, keep us pure. Keep us faithful. Keep us humble. If you would, by your will and power and your mercy, allow the sustaining of life for for others. If you would heal, if you would protect, okay. If you would Mm -hmm. allow trial and suffering, okay. Like Whatever God says, whatever my God ordains is good. That, just stay there. And so all that to say, that's our mentality. Not one single healing ever. Two last questions that will wrap this up and kind of bring us back to your conversion story and testimony that we started with last night. What other faith teachers have you met? Obviously, your uncle, you mentioned Oral Roberts. What are the other ones that you have personally met with and interacted uh, with? Paula White was one. We had an interesting Christmas with her one year. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, <laughs> Crouches? Oh, all of them. So uh, I live, my roommate in Dallas, one of was Brandon Crouch, their grandson, good friend of mine, uh, all the way through that that era. Did he get? Did he come out of that movement? He did. So Brandon is definitely out of there, and a little more jaded. Not in ministry. He's not preaching at, at this point. He's in media. This is the grandson of the founders of TBN, Paul yeah. and Jan Crouch. And his dad. To give you kind of an idea of our relationship now, I love hockey. Big hockey fan. The Toronto Maple Leafs are my favorite team. They're in the playoffs and they won. They beat, they got out of the first round for the first time in 20 years, the playoffs. 
And so like Dallas Cowboys fans can feel my pain as far as like, yeah. And when they won this overtime winner just a f- several weeks ago, I got a FaceTime and it was Brandon and it was Paul Jr., his dad, who I love them both dearly. They both got X from that whole world. And they had FaceTimed me and they were like, yeah, yelling at my phone. And I was like, yeah, my wife's like, cool. I'm like, Brandon. She's like, what? You know, it's been years since we really talked, but hockey was our bond. He loved hockey. Um, them, we used to have, he and I, before all the fallout, unfortunately for them, because they got cut off because his sister was in the accounting department and dealing with money and went after, uh, she's kind of a blue collar straight shooter and didn't like the shenanigans and went after her grandfather and started saying there's things we're doing wrong. I'm not signing these checks. And that was the end of her. That's Brandon's sister. So lots of drama, all that stuff. But in the end, uh, we used to go to, we'd show up to a restaurant, particular restaurant in Orange County with our board shorts straight from the beach and go eat with Paul Sr. And new Jan. My, my mom was cooking for Oral Roberts as her, my, my mom loves to cook. She's a very gifted cook. She was driving down Pacific Coast Highway, PCH in California, to Oral Roberts' house in Newport before he died and cooking for him once a week and talking with him like this is just before he died. Hmm. So the whole family, like TBN, Uncle, Oral Roberts, that orbit, pretty heavy. Um, went to praise the Lord. We saw all that. Have you uh, met Kenneth Copeland? Yes, met Kenneth Copeland once. Do you remember Carmen? Yeah, the music Carl, singer. Yeah, you remember Carlton Pearson? I've heard Any that name. All of them as well. Um, Kenneth Copeland was my hero growing up because he had these shows. One of them was called, he had Covenant Rider. Did you know he was an actor? I know he did a movie recently. Oh, no, no. He, he like acted. When I was a kid, he was a cowboy. He was Wichita Slim. That's his name. And these, these, so Gospel Bill, no, any of that? No. All right. They should have called it False Gospel Bill. But <laughs> they were so good at, I, you know, I just remembered, they were so good at media, so good at media, and using media to leverage and to get into homes and to get into people's. His daughter, Kelly, so Commander Kelly and the Super Kids was one of their shows they produced. Like high dollar, high value, high creativity. So they were all, like, to meet them and see them and use their stuff, all <laughs> heroes. Uh, I'm trying to think of any others, but that was, never met Joyce Meyer, never met Osteen. Do you know of anybody else, final question, do you know of anybody else who is like you in that they've come out of that movement, being close to it as you were, been saved, and now are sound in doctrine? Whether or not they're in ministry or not is irrelevant, but they're sound in doctrine now, clear thinking, and trying to reach people inside that movement. Do you know anybody else? One. Uh Morris Cirillo's grandson, Michael Cirillo, he's a dear brother, uh, met him. He's in like marketing or something like that. He came out, he was going to a reformed church in San Diego and then working for Michael Horton doing graphics and media. And I met him. We did some podcasts with Michael, Dr. Horton, and, uh, and Michael talked about his story, Michael Cirillo, and, and shared some of his story. He's one. And I would say he's saved and solid, not just like jaded and spat out. No. That's kind of that's kind of it, which kind of stinks because I, I don't want to be the only one, right? Now. There's lots of people, and that's what I would delineate is I'm one of just many. Like there's many, many, many people. Who've come out of the movement. Come out of the movement. That's all I am is I'm just another convert. But to be in those families and things like that, that's what I say is the kind of the, what stinks. Is I wish, I wish more would. And what the issue is this: your whole, not saying it's harder for God to save anyone; He could save anyone. But your whole life is wrapped up in that. Your livelihood, your identity. There's something just deep about it that. You almost have to have like a program in your church that's like a missions program mm-hmm. that says like if you leave, we'll we'll like give you housing, 
and pay your bills for three years and rehabilitate. Like you need a rehab center. I say that like it's funny, but you do. The, if it wasn't for that church being willing to let me come out and be a part, like the Lord did it perfectly. So that's the part I, I sometimes wonder. I don't know all the answers to it, but I sometimes wonder in my own life, like, Lord, am I being open enough to, if someone really needed help, would they reach out to me? Would I be able to help? Would I, could I ask people in my church to say, hey, we need to like rehab this person. They need to get away from this. Could I? Because that's the issue with people who don't leave Scientology too mm-hmm. and these other cults. Well, if I leave, I'll have no family. I'll have no money. I'll have no food. I'll have no friends. I'll have, can't pay rent. And so now you, leave, you forsake all for Christ. Mm-hmm. But I still, like people, there was a safety net. Mm-hmm. They were like, move out here. We'll help you. It's like, okay. But even then it wasn't like, hey, we'll save you from heresy. It was like, whatever. It's costly. It's cool. Like It only came out after. So I don't know anyone else who... Um, did it, but I bet they're out there and I bet they're wondering, I'm, there's gotta be someone going, I'm done. Maybe one day they'll call you, but can I move to Sandpoint? And yeah. Right. Live in somebody's front yard or I'll pitch a tent. And... Yeah, they're likely to call me for sure. So. <laughs> not, not cost. Hey, I him. called Justin. Yeah. I knew stability when I saw it. <laughs> that guy. You haven't seen him walk then, have you? <laughs> <laughs> That is the definition of lack of stability. <laughs> and you're allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> he tells me I should write Hallmark cards. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.